Welcome to Greenfish Blue Oceans, the podcast where stories about seafood are good for you and the oceans. I'm Maureen Berry. This week, I'm tackling N is for nori and nutrient pollution. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to the N is for Nori part of the program. So right off, Nori is a Japanese term for dried red seaweed. Technically, the word means alga. You may be familiar with Nori if you eat sushi. It's the green, paper-thin sheets used primarily for wrapping sushi. Nori is the most common edible seaweed and can be found in most markets these days. Even the Kroger in my rural western Kentucky town sells flavored nori snacks. Recently, I bought wasabi-flavored nori sheets. The package is 5 milligrams, one serving, 30 calories, 2 grams of fat, 70 milligrams of sodium, 1 carb, and 20% vitamin A and 15% vitamin C, all based on a 2,000-calorie diet. Okay, that's good, right? Organically grown, no preservatives. In fact, the ingredients list is what you'd expect for a product that's good for you. It's short. Organic seaweed, organic sunflower oil, organic wasabi-flavored powder, in parentheses, that means organic dextrose and natural flavors, and sea salt. So, okay, there's dextrose, but that's fairly common in packaged foods. The packet also carries the USDA organic and non-GMO labels, so I'm down with all that. Seaweed's a good source of protein. It's high in vitamins, fiber, minerals, iodine, and rich in omega-3s. So what's not to like? All right, I'm going to open the packet and give it a try. Hang in there. I haven't tried these yet. Easy open. I love that. Oh, smells just like you think it would seaweed. Salty, oceany. I like it. Comes in a little um, plastic container. I'm not crazy about that. Looks just like the um, the nori sheets that you get when you make sushi. Let me try it. Oh my god. Oh. Okay. <laughs> It tastes exactly like nori, like that seaweed ocean flavor. And the wasabi is strong on the front end, but it kind of mellows out. I like it. These are just square little packets. It looks like a lot, though. I don't know that I would eat all of that, even though they say it's one serving. So that's pretty good. They're salty, spicy. Who would, uh, you know, I I think I could probably eat a little bit more. I don't know if I'd eat all of them, though. I, I do like it, though. I think it's healthy. That's a really good thing. And I've tried to eat healthy these days because there are days when I just want to eat the dark chocolate and the blueberry pie. All right. Where can you buy Nori? Well, just about anywhere online. I did a quick Amazon search. And it revealed Deluxe Sushi Nori. You could buy it raw, organic, 
roasted and toasted. And then of course, just look on your, in your natural foods department at the grocery store. I'm sure you'll find some flavored wasabi nori there too. And then you can let me know if you like it. So I mentioned that nori is the most common seaweed, but it certainly isn't the only edible seaweed. You can buy wakame, hijiki, sea lettuce, kombu, sea spaghetti, and more. And availability is strong. Check online and in some um, Asian markets, you'll be able to find fresh. But the other cool thing about seaweed is it isn't just for eating. There are over 10,000 varieties of seaweed with more being discovered every day. That's pretty dang incredible. And there are seaweed farms just as there are fish farms. But because the oceans are changing, the seaweed farms are under attack from ocean pollution and warming water temperatures. The great news is there are some terrific innovative solutions going on right now. You can find out more about that in the show notes under the Nat Geo link. Because the demand for seaweed is not going away. Seaweed's been cultivated for centuries. Initially, there was only wild harvest, but mostly now seaweed is farmed. And the cultivated seaweed brings much of the seaweed to market. Like fish farming, there is land-based seaweed farms, inshore and offshore farming. The demand is huge and its uses are great. Seaweed's processed and converted to carrageenan, a fiber used in food production, personal products and pharmaceuticals like dairy products, chocolate, ketchup, mayo, toothpaste, wow, lots of stuff. Seaweed can be converted to fuel and made into animal feed and fish feed. Yay! It's used in agriculture and wastewater treatment facilities to clean the water. This is like an amazing thing. Seaweed in the oceans offers a safe environment, a sanctuary, if you will, to a large number of fish and sea creatures. Seaweed is food source for fish too. So I guess we could say seaweed's a superfood, or maybe super plant is a better term. Either way, seaweed is indeed Mother Nature's gift to the planet. Now, it's important to know that you can't eat seaweed like you might eat kale. Now, there are some disadvantages if you eat too much of it, depending on where you get your seaweed, because seaweed is a plant and it absorbs what's ever in the environment. So if the water is polluted with mercury, lead, or other pollutants, then the seaweed will be polluted too. Just like you need to know where your fish comes from, you need to know where your seafood comes from. And I left a list of resources in the show notes for you. So, do you eat seaweed? That's what I want to know. Let me know. Hey, shoot me an email or hit me up on Twitter at Maureen Seabury or on Facebook. I would love to talk with you. All right, my friends. That is it for N is for Nori, short and sweet. Stick around for the N is for nutrient pollution part of the program. It's far more exciting than it sounds.
Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to the N is for nutrient pollution part of the program. Hey, if you know me, you know I was raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania during the 60s and 70s. Pittsburgh is one of those cities that has gone through numerous transformations. But one thing sets it apart. There are three rivers that meet right at the tip of the city. The Monongahela, the Allegheny, and the Ohio. When I was a kid, these rivers were the color of mud. I am not kidding. Brown, muddy, filthy water. A smog-filled skyline greeted me as I walked along Grandview Avenue in Mount Washington in the neighborhood where I lived in the south side of the city. But back then, I walked everywhere. Get this. I walked two miles to Point State Park from my house in Mount Washington to swim in the fountain at the river. And as a kid, I don't remember how long it took, so I searched the Google map from my front door to the fountain at the park. It's about 47 minutes. Back then, I remember I wore flip-flops during the summer, like every other kid I knew. But with all that walking, the soles became worn and thin. And by the end of the summer, the concrete and asphalt ground burned the bottoms of my feet. So by the time I got to the park where the three rivers met, it didn't take much for me to want to jump in that water. Now, laws about swimming in the public park fountains were loose back then. Now, I know I wasn't allowed to jump in the river. Even Mom warned me not to swim in the river. I knew it was dangerous. It was big and fast and filthy. But of course, I didn't listen. Now, not that I swam in the river often, and swimming is probably a loose term. I only remember doing it once. So why would I jump in the filthy, oily, smelly river? <laughs> One, because I could. Two, because I was a teenager and I was told not to. And three, my feet were on fire. <laughs> but once in the water and I tried to climb back up that oil slick concrete riverbank, I was totally scared. And once I couldn't see anything below the surface when I was in the water, I was actually terrified. I could only imagine what was underneath there, and my imagination is terrific. <laughs> so even though I was cooled off, when I finally climbed out with the help from a friend, I knew I would never jump in that river again. Plus, that oily residue clung to my skin and clothes, matted my curls on my head, I felt like Linus in the Peanuts cartoon walking home that day. The top of my head was totally scorched from the sun. I suppose I'm blessed I didn't get sick from that incident. Mom probably made me get a tetanus shot. She was an immunization nurse for, for the county, after all. And who knows, maybe another 20 years will change that. That's how chemical contamination works. Slowly. Now, as a teenager... I watched the cityscape change. The steel mills closed, bringing hardship to many communities, and the rivers kept flowing. But the smog thinned out, and the rivers got cleaner. Today, Pittsburgh boasts a gorgeous skyline, devoid of smog. The rivers aren't nearly as filthy as those days of my youth. It's no wonder that in 1975, I fell so deeply in love when I saw the Atlantic Ocean for the first time in Ocean City, Maryland. But way before I experienced nutrient pollution or noticed the environmental issues going on with the water, 
in the 60s and 70s. Rachel Carson, the noted marine biologist, conservationist, and author of Silent Spring, had sounded the alarm about the use of chemicals, specifically DDT, and its long-term effects to our natural resources and populations. Interesting that Rachel Carson was born in Springdale, Pennsylvania, a suburb located about 18 miles northeast of Pittsburgh. I was three years old when she died from an early death from breast cancer in 1964. Nevertheless, her work revolutionized the environmental movement. And environmental catastrophes occur in our modern-day world often. You don't even have to think too hard to know about some of them. Flint, Michigan, the Great Lakes, the Great Garbage Patch. Beaches and waterways around the world are littered with plastic and garbage. Birds and marine animals eat these plastics. We know because scientists perform autopsies and find plastic in their bellies. Now, not all birds and animals are eating plastic. Some are more susceptible than others. In my neck of the woods, these days, I'm hypersensitive to nutrient pollution. I'm collecting notices from the city water department three in the last year, to be exact. The notices come quarterly. I'll read a little from the latest notice dated July 5th, 2017. Important information about your drinking water. Total trihalomethanes for Madisonville Light and Water. That's TTHM. Our water system recently violated a drinking water standard. Although this incident was not an emergency, as our customers, you have a right to know what happened and what are doing to correct this situation. Test results from 1-1-2017 to 3-31-2017 show that our system exceeded the standard or maximum contaminant level for TTHM. The standard for TTHM is 0.080 milligrams per liter. It is determined by averaging all the samples collected at each sampling location for the past 12 months. The level of TTHM averaged at one of our system's locations for 1-1-2017 to 3-31-2017 was 0.090 milligrams. And then they answer some questions. What should I do? What does this mean? Is what is being done? There's nothing that I need to do, evidently. They don't say exactly where which location this comes from. They do go on to say it's not an emergency. However, some people who drink water containing trihalomethanes in excess of MCL over the many years may experience problems with their liver, kidneys, or central nervous system and may have an increased risk of getting cancer. When you look on a map to see some of the most polluted and contaminated areas for cancer, Kentucky pops right up there. Thankfully, not in western Kentucky where I live. A lot of that occurs in eastern Kentucky. What exactly is nutrient pollution? According to NOAA, nutrient pollution, also called eutrophication, is the process where too many nutrients, mainly nitrogen and phosphorus, are added to bodies of water and act like a fertilizer, causing excessive growth of alga. Nutrients from lawn fertilizer, for instance, pet and wildlife waste, and humans. Think about 
where the chemicals go when you wash your car outside, and the water just rolls down the drain. There are naturally occurring nutrient pollution sources, too, from rocks and mountainsides. Severe eutrophication can cause low oxygen levels in the water, blocking light for seagrass, like those seaweeds mentioned in the Ennis Fernori part of the program. These surface water plants and grasses rely on sunlight for growth. So how common is nutrient pollution and when does it occur? Nutrient pollution is prevalent on our planet. It occurs in urban and suburban areas, agriculture, forestry, atmospheric inputs, and marinas. In essence, it's everywhere, including from pipes, old ships, factories and sewage, and simple runoff from a storm. So how is nutrient pollution controlled? Well, there are numerous ways to try to stop or slow down the process. For instance, planting grass and laying hay around heavy construction sites, retaining fences in the water, retention ponds, constructed wetlands, using porous paving materials to avoid runoff, introducing insects like ladybugs and caterpillars to combat pets to reduce the need for pesticides in agriculture. And lastly, using shutoff valves and pumps in marine areas. One of the most glaring examples of nutrient pollution comes from trash that lines the beaches and waterways around the world. Plastic, metals, and drugs leach harmful chemicals into the water. What if we choose to do nothing or don't act soon enough? And what are the long-term effects of unregulated eutrophication. I don't have the answer, but you don't need a science degree to see that if left unabated, our planet is in trouble. What can you do? Three words. Plant a tree. (laughs) Do I sound like a broken record? I feel like I say that at like the end of every podcast. (laughs) No, seriously, plant a tree. (laughs) (laughs) You could celebrate Earth Day, organize or join a water cleanup. I put a link in the show notes so you can find one in your little slice of the world. All right, I leave you with that. Something to think about, right? And thanks for listening to Greenfish Blue Oceans. Hey, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Up next, O is for oysters and ocean threats. So if you know someone who would like this podcast, please share. And if you have a question or you want to continue the convo, email me at maureenseberry at gmail.com or hit me up on Facebook and Twitter at Maureen Seabury. And have a great two weeks.